0: We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard, Ten, because that nine, goal will serve to organize
1: start. and measure the Six, five, best of our energies four, and skills, three, because that two, challenge is all one that we're willing to accept, zero, one we are unwilling running. to Liftoff, we in have one, a liftoff, 32 minutes
0: past the hour, liftoff on Apollo 11.
1: Thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in to our next New Space Vision podcast episode. This podcast episode is with someone very special, Jörg Herrmann from Capella Space and previously a lot of other space endeavors about which we're going to learn a little bit more in the next few minutes. Jörg Daniel and I met at a meetup in San Francisco at the end of last year. While I was standing there and I, I talked to someone else, I heard someone speaking to someone else with a German accent and I thought, well, we should maybe just talk about what brought him to San Francisco. And so we started started to talk and it was incredible what stories uh, Jörg was able to tell about the inception of commercial space here in Germany and the development of new space in Europe and around the world. And so we are very happy that Jörg is here. Could you maybe tell us a little bit more about yourself and your way into the space industry?
0: Well, thank you, uh, first of all, for having me, Uh, Sven and Daniel. I I am called uh, a space veteran in the meantime. I started working in space in 1986 at that time, space industry in Germany was not really big. Space activities uh, were only a few, and there were first endeavors to become a strong participant in the European Space Agency activities. At that time, uh, I worked for a company uh, that had only eighty uh, employees at that time. So it was a, a spin-off from uh, an aircraft manufacturer called Dornier, and uh, we had the pleasure to do a few activities in space with NASA, with ESA, with uh, the precursor of DLR at that time. Uh, that was very much space agency uh, driven. And uh, over time, there were new programs coming up. And in the 90s, and that's one of the points that I mentioned in San Francisco to use then, uh, in the 90s, we already had something which uh, I would have called at that time New Space, but it did not have the name, but it was the attempt uh, to do things differently to do things quicker, lighter, cheaper. And it was called small satellite uh, business. And uh, it was a bunch of people uh, that made attempts. A few of them did that even privately for the purpose of uh, supporting uh, amateur radio communication. And uh, a a famous professor from the UK uh, uh, is to be named here who built... A very small 50 kilogram satellite in order to, to demonstrate that with cheap approaches, you can even support telecommunication between amateurs globally. In the 90s, I went through various uh, significant steps. Uh, one thing was that I decided to work more on the business side. I was involved before in satellite design, system satellite system design, including ground infrastructures, operations. We have have commercial space applications in the telecom sector uh, that came up uh, in the 90s uh, very strong uh, not only for television broadcasting but also for telecommunication in general uh, a few initiatives uh, came over from the U.S. Global Star Iridium which were first constellations uh, and that was kind of a, a new approach to do things more compact more mission devoted and um, building more compact and less expensive spacecraft in order to have uh, the funding uh, being sufficient for a full constellation. I was tending more towards developing a service business that benefits from the technologies that Europe brought about in the remote sensing field, And that ultimately led me into the radar sector.
2: That's super, super interesting. Yeah, um, Maybe uh, just a question from our side. First, you just said 90s, quicker, lighter, cheaper. That sounds super interesting and that sounds like the current new space economy, right? And I mean, it's 30 years ago, so can you maybe tell us what was the driver back then and was RapidEye the highlight of this wave or were there also other companies which are there still today?
0: The whole initiative uh, came actually over from the United States. At NASA, uh, we had an initiative uh, of the NASA director. We called that faster, better, cheaper. (laughs) Uh, And that was more or less uh, contributing to uh, initiatives. And I'm now focusing on the remote sensing field uh, of companies becoming visible as startups, uh, one called Earthwatch and the other one called space imaging. uh, And both both were startups or spin-offs. Uh, uh, Earthwatch became Digital Globe and Space Imaging merged with Orb Image, which uh, was uh, spun off from Orbital Science. They got merged. So today we have in the U.S. Uh, the, the result of a multiple decade consolidation in this sector, but it came from startups.
2: Yeah. And and now Digital Globe is Nexa, right? So the story continued? Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. So cons- consolidation is something which happens over time but uh, somehow everything uh, gets started with startups. <laughs> the change of companies or
1: company names also played a role in, in your career, right? You mentioned you started at Donier and then you made a transition to ERDS or was there a step in between?
0: Well, in fact, that's also a, a lengthier story. <laughs> ERDS uh, is one of the group brands that had been established and in my personal career in that environment uh, coming from Dornier, then transformed into a company uh, called Astrium. By the end of the 90s, we were looking for investment. And uh, the key steps for both initiatives was to form the operating entity or the commercialization companies. And in the case of Kaiser Trede, that was RapidEye. And I was requested to spin off a company, which we called then InfoTerra. And InfoTerra was then the operating and commercialization organization for the TerraSAR program. That was a startup. It was also in the context of a public-private partnership uh, between uh, Astrium as the industrial investor and DLR as the front end of the German government co-investment. It got then implemented uh, over several years. Uh, founding was in 2000. In 2000. Seven, the first TerraSar was launched. In 2008, InfoTerra started operational services.
2: That's super, super interesting because you have seen everything like from the hardware constellations which come up uh, or the hardware, um, the satellites, and then trying to build uh, like a commercial market for that, right? With applications. And this is also what Sven and I uh, are trying with LiveView. We don't build hardware, um, but we try to build those services. And I think you also have a very interesting story to tell there, right? Because you tried in the early 2000s to create a digital um, elevation model for entire Germany for the telecommunication industry, right? Can you maybe tell us a bit about this project and the story of
0: that? It was actually a clutter map, uh, clutter maps, uh, which are being used in the telecom sector uh, for propagation uh, uh, modeling in order to find the best locations for the for the masts for the cellular network operators and for the uh, first generation, right?
1: That's so for all for the young listeners, pre. Free mobile phone, free cellular phone, right? Uh,
0: in fact, I decided when the company founded, and it became clear that I would need to wait many years to have something to sell from coming from a spacecraft in orbit. Uh, I started to uh, to establish precursor business business that would be similar to the final business that we pursued, but could be implemented with data sources uh, and capabilities which were already existing. Mapping was very essential, and we established a mapping factory in Potsdam, uh, which still exists today and is very successful. And the key focus of that group was uh, to provide topographic maps but also thematic maps, which is the case for clutter maps. On the radar side, we learned how to work with airborne radar systems that were already capable in the nineties to provide digital elevation data during one overfly that. Uh, mapping activity was tested in the equatorial belt, where radar is very beneficial. So we mapped more than 200,000 square kilometers of Indonesia protected rainforest in order to give uh, the administration and the country a sound basis to evaluate how to manage uh, tropical rainforests. When Infoterra uh, was inaugurated, uh, we continued this kind, these kinds of services. So we mapped in Latin America uh, major areas areas with uh, mapping scales of 1 to 50,000. And uh, uh, one thing that we learned from these activities, the operational production from the source data into an output product that the customer uh, was willing to buy. So thematic maps, topographic uh, base maps, uh, radar maps, uh, which were then used by mapping authorities or by the analytic firms uh, for the telecom sector. This is really, I think, um,
1: already a great takeaway and a great learning for a lot of space companies right now, which maybe want to build a, a radar constellation or image constellation or a thermal imaging. Constellation installation, whatever, or even for us, um, first start with data which is already available or data which is accessible and producible, not from your space-born asset, but maybe from aerial sources or so on. We know a number of examples, including our friends from Aurora Tech, who first now um, already built similar service to their final one and, and already established uh, a, a, yeah, um, a standing in the market. Um, but yeah, you already said that InfoTerra builds um some um, built uh, analytics products um, to mimic, uh, to, to, yeah, to represent some of the data products which InfoTerra imagined to produce with their radar satellites. So could you maybe tell us a little bit about uh, really this, this incredible constellation of TerraSAR and uh, tandem x uh, which you, together with the DLR, brought into orbit and
0: then also operated? The, the, whole, the whole TerraSAR program has also a very long history. It started actually mid of the 90s. At that time, we had... A program ongoing under funding from, uh, at that time, uh, space in Germany was still funded from the research ministry, uh, not like today from the Ministry of Commerce. And that program was called the xr later on the so-called Shuttle Topography Mission. All of these were uh, sensors that were packed into the cargo bay of the space shuttle. And the space shuttle was flying head over so the sensor could look to the ground Uh, of the Earth and uh, do experiments. Uh, Usually the shuttle missions were only a few days, so it was not for an operational uh, purpose uh, good enough, but it was good for testing equipment. So lots of sensors have been taken up uh, on the shuttle to do testing Uh, and uh, the radar system uh, to which we contributed at that time flew several times and the last time it flew was with a dual antenna SAR system the SRTM mission shuttle radar topography mission which produced uh, an almost global digital elevation model due to the shuttle inclination of 60 degrees the pole caps were missing on both sides (laughs) but it was the first time to have a consistent a global uh, digital elevation model. And um, I was uh, personally involved in that program and um, it inspired me along with also other experiments that were conducted under the ESA program called ERS, Earth Remote Sensing Satellite. Uh, was also flying in the early 90s and the first time uh, the two satellites of ERS were flying in a tandem formation and also so here the spectacular capability of radar to measure interferometric was utilized in order to measure elevation of the surface to measure surface motion and that was uh, supported by a huge number of, of scientists in Europe and internationally in order to learn how to, to work uh, with those measurement techniques and how to do the processing and how to optimize the processing. So we are coming from a long way and uh, when the TerraSAR uh, program. Public-private partnership number one uh, was established in, in 2004 with a launch in 2007. In that time, DLR considered another call for further commercially oriented initiatives. Two programs were selected. One was X, and the other one was NMAP. And NMAP is still going on, hasn't been launched. Yeah, but X had a clear a commercial perspective because the capability was excellent for providing the next generation global digital elevation model with pole-to-pole coverage. And that was of great interest to international mapping authorities, to defense mapping authorities, to many researchers. Uh, And it it also turned out uh, to to become relevant uh, for aircraft. So I had proposed this business case, and it got adopted. And the PPP number two was in.
2: And um, so that's interesting because it was a try to commercialize this great technology by the government together with an industrial partner. But this industrial partner was ac- actually also really close to the government.
0: Right. So there were no smaller companies involved in this uh, process. That was not the case. The technology was just a vehicle in order to get the um, the market The marketable capabilities into place and uh, before the TerraStar business case was adopted, uh, we did intensive market research and had a clear plan how many products would become successful if this data source would feed into a value chain which would still need to be developed yeah so so it's it's really an end-to-end technical approach that was orientated against market requirements which in a few cases were not even clear because the customers were not aware what kind of product they could get
2: <laughs> yeah yeah we, we know this uh in our daily lives when we talk to customers in the utility industry and it's always good if they already know about satellite images then they understand our product but we have a lot of customers where we have to explain the technology first and, and then they always think about those movies right where you have a live stream of the satellite and uh, we then have to tell them no we can solve a lot of problems um, but this is not how it works um, so what what we also seen um, Sven and I is that ZAR synthetic aperture radar is still underutilized because you can solve so many problems there, but somehow, you know, all those industries are not really penetrated with satellite
0: data. Do you agree on that or do you see it different? Before I answer that question, uh, maybe I should answer your previous question. (laughs) 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 The answer is we had a huge group of partner firms uh, that worked with us in order to prepare all of that. And of course, you have on the hardware side, you have suppliers that deliver uh, Units, subsystems, whatsoever, uh, and then on the on the downstream side, you need value-added service providers or development partners that take the risk with you to develop the products that we had derived from market demand, but they didn't exist at that time. So, so uh, we had to go through the decision making make or buy or partner. And in many cases, a partnership approach was uh, preferential. And uh, we had also the opportunity to do, uh, based on grant funding, uh, some development work to demonstrate what kind of products can be derived from radar data that we can expect from a pterosaur. We also did that actually for hyperspectral, because uh, at the beginning, we could not completely focus only on on radar but we looked into hyperspectral and and radar and then these development and demonstration activities focused fully on radar and demonstrated for different application fields how for instance we can derive crop yield uh, thematic maps from radar imagery with different qualities how we can develop uh, efficiently uh, digital elevation data that are being used in the topographic mapping field and how can we derive radar maps uh, with map grids that would then be used by mapping authorities? So all of these things, uh, a broad band of application fields have been tested. We flew a radar sensor on an aircraft. So that's the, the, the typical exercise that you do with uh, with the prototyping uh, of products. And that's pretty much the same in other branches. Uh, so in re- remote sensing, you do it that way. As long as you don't have the quality from space, use aircraft in order to simulate this kind of capability. So so overall we had, after some time also across Europe, a multitude of partners working with us on, on these development activities and uh, after some time these partnerships uh, were converted into reseller arrangements or uh, cooperation agreements to have the reach into the market without needing to develop all the capabilities in-house.
1: So a broader network of smaller companies also was involved, and, and maybe to Daniel's second question, you worked at at least one of the first commercial radar constellations, and now you're working at a company which aims to build another radar constellation. You also see that right now radar data is underutilized.
0: Well, radar has uh, one major caveat: it does not look nice. <laughs> <laughs> It it has uh, a different appearance than a photograph, and that requires some training for image analysts, for instance, (laughs) to get acquainted with that. Once you understand the physics behind it, everything is very clear. In the meantime, and I think the more than 10 years of commercial radar imagery now being in the market... Uh, Lots of capabilities have been implemented. Uh, There is a lot more capabilities also readily embedded in the -the off-the-shelf image analysis tool sets that you can buy in the market. The more and more getting popular of artificial intelligence uh, capabilities, uh, in particular machine learning approaches, I see a significant progress coming up for radar being used, in particular in context of change detection and also in context of optimizing the capabilities that benefit from the fact that you can measure interferometrically or you can do triangulation with radar very efficiently. The pixel location accuracy of radar imagery collected from space is typically a lot better than what you get from optical imagery. So, whenever you want to determine, for instance, ground control points, or you want to automate a mosaicing process, uh, a radar has some advantages there, uh, avoiding manual interaction that you need to do. Uh, so, people need to sit at the screen and make the images fit together into a mosaic. I see another. Another big advantage coming up with uh, larger constellations, the frequency of the data collects uh, is going up. That enables more monitoring like uh, capabilities, which are adamantly required in certain application fields. That will help radar to find a very special role in the remote sensing world, benefiting from frequent, very reliable data collects because dependence on the solar illumination that you Need with optical cameras is just not there. SAR is self illuminated. The optical remote sensing systems fly over a certain time of the day over the equator because that's the best time with the best sun illumination, which is around 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning or the same slot in the afternoon. That uh, re- constrains the observation time. Whereas with a radar system, if I um, capitalize on a constellation, even better. I can offer collection time diversity between midnight and the next midnight. Yeah.
2: So the future is radar. That's what I interpret uh, here. Like one question for myself, because Sven and I also always try to estimate the potential market of commercial um, earth observation applications, right? Beside the governmental applications. And now. Uh, thinking about all those upcoming constellations. We sometimes see the traditional market reports very conservative. Do you think that the market will really take off when those commercial radar constellations are in orbit because what you said, it's um, you uh, are independent of day and time illumination, uh, you can penetrate clouds, right? Do you do you see that or do you still think it's uh, going to take a lot of time until we have uh, the market situated? With applications?
0: Well, su- success in a range of markets and and I, I would differentiate here between different market sectors because working with farmers or foresters is a completely different game than working. Uh, with a military organization, for instance, because you have experts there that understand radar. Or if you work with the, the shipping industry, or the shipping business, or uh, the, the coast guards, these guys know how radar image look like. <laughs> but if you work uh, in the in the higher level uh, uh, um, market sectors, uh, you have uh, no you find no interest in satellite technology at all. They are just interested in a piece of information. And it must come in the right time. And it must be easily accessible. So these are elements uh, that are all critical success factors. uh, And uh, my concern is very often that uh, the shiny eyes of the new space engineers are relating very much to the beautiful spacecraft they have designed and not so much the real critical success factors on the monetarization side. But I see a good evolution here that... uh, this is being worked on. I see a major advantage coming through the cloud computing the very easy networking at a global scale with high speed connections between the continents so it doesn't really make a difference anymore where your data have been landed. So all of these uh, things uh, which I like to call value chains need to be uh, optimized and made efficient cost efficient uh, uh, foremost And then the access for the customer must be easy. Uh, And then we have an end-to-end chain, which uh, has a good potential to grow business.
2: And now I imagine because you are now at Capella, Capella is doing it different, right? So Capella tries to uh, consider all of those value chains. Um, Can you maybe tell us what's making uh, Capella space (coughs) special? What are the highlights and lowlights?
0: Well, the the Capella approach uh, is uh, really to come up with good quality to you. Imagery, prompt, and frequent. Uh, And by the combination of these three attributes, the whole infrastructure is already characterized because you need to capitalize on cloud. You need to capitalize on a global network of ground stations. You need to uh, capitalize on command and control capabilities uh, that use data relay satellites. Uh, You have um, the whole value chain optimized for cloud operations uh, and uh, then there is the network uh, of, uh, of partners, development partners uh, who have uh, the capabilities and the interest and their business ambitions uh, to retrieve from, from these image images or the radar measurement capabilities the right pieces of information for which people pay money if they can easily access it and uh, Uh, They like the price uh, and uh, you can deliver timely.
2: And um, I think also what Capella Space, um, because you mentioned all the partners who are building applications, right? Capella Space did the approach. You mentioned that you have an aerial data set uh, there for development purposes, right? Yes. Um, So for all the listeners who are interested in building RAID applications, Capella Space really tried to make this uh, data set really, really similar to the final product uh, from Capella Space. And I think you have multiple time steps there and so on, right? um, Can you maybe tell us a bit about that?
0: Well, it's... uh, uh, it's coordinated uh, uh, via our mm-hmm. portal uh, where you can sign up if you have interest in utilizing uh, radar data for uh, applications that you have in mind. Uh, you can sign up and get access as a partner to, to the existing data sets that we have. And uh, that is currently data that we acquired also from aircraft campaigns. And uh, it represents more or less the quality that we will get from the satellite as soon as we we get into orbit uh, with the blessing of of COVID-19, hopefully (laughs) soon.
1: We are crossing fingers, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, tell us a little bit about what your what your role is at the capella space
0: well i'm working in the executive team i'm bringing the the experience uh, into into the company and uh, I'm looking into special topics where uh, my experience can be of assistance and so i'm not specifically focusing on uh, a special sector uh, in the operative business but I'm uh, jumping in wherever I can help virtually in all areas uh, with a clear focus on on radar applications and Uh, radar technology
1: to some extent. Yeah, that's, uh, I think, uh, very valuable for Capella, as as I can imagine.
0: And
2: now, um, what's also super interesting for us, because you've seen both worlds, right? You've seen um, German uh, commercial space wave, uh, and now you're in the Bay Area um, at Capella space, like building a leading constellation. How um, does your daily work differentiate compared to your work in Germany?
1: What are maybe the the main differences in the working culture of a company, uh, which was a startup and had a very ambitious goal, uh, InfoTerra and uh, Capella Space, which also is a very ambitious goal, but it's based in in San Francisco, yeah.
0: Well, uh, this is Silicon Valley, many startups and um, um, a good availability of venture capital. And venture capital, of course, uh, brings in a factor for a startup company, which is called Runway. So you need uh, to be focused. You need to make sure that with the funding that you have in place, uh, you reach your goals. And uh, at the same time, uh, you have to take the liberty to pivot if you come uh, to the point that you may have a requirement to change something in your approach. So being agile uh, in the work, uh, and uh, if uh, I may respond to the major difference points uh, between the work, I would call it in space industry in Europe and in in the startup environment that I experience here is... um, that um, there is no space agency um, in the equation that has, of course, because they are procuring with public money, with tax money, <laughs> they have the obligation to control what they get, yeah. uh, which often means intense documentation, very systematic testing, and lots of uh, interactions between the players In the team that I'm currently working in, uh, that is a very integrated approach. Uh, We have the risk to take that it works, what we built, uh, because there's no one uh, watching over us except ourselves. And uh, we have to also at the same time calibrate our route, our angle of attack uh, into the future against what we learn from the market. And there may be situations where we have to decide, okay, we do this differently. The space programs I experienced in Europe, they took many years, (laughs) some of which up to 10 years, uh, to get something into orbit. Of course, all kinds of reasons, delays. I mean, delays we also have here due to the pandemic situation. The development time that we are uh, foreseeing for a space craft is months and not years uh, so uh, the major advantage uh, of this kind of approach is that uh, we can foresee technological improvements from batch to batch of satellites
1: yeah I think closing the feedback cycle is super important. No matter if you build hardware or, or software and have a slow customer base, really getting this feedback from either the, the test ground or the customer, which is your test, test ground. It is, it's really, really crucial. When we were also in Bay Area and experience was also that, that obviously funding is different from Europe. And the US we would say that in in Berlin and Europe there's already quite a strong seed and series A fundraising base, so a lot of VCs. But I think for for hardware and space companies still a little bit harder to raise capital here in Europe than it is in the us would you agree?
0: Well that's what I observe as well. when I was in the situation to start up uh, there was virtually no venture capital. there was one fund, but uh, the the volumes that were debatable uh, to be uh, considered or to be ingested into a startup were far less than 10 million euros uh, and that at that time at least uh, was not really helpful Uh, and uh, so the, there is two choices: either you, you lower the the cost for the hardware, <laughs> or you work uh, with the venture capital community uh, to come to, to higher volumes. And uh, this is what I observe here uh, in, in the in the Bay Area: the volumes that companies bring together. By the way, uh, I observe a similar situation in Japan. For instance, we are talking about several tens of millions. Of of dollars of venture capital, uh, which is uh, coming together in order to support such initiatives.
1: So I think we we didn't want to ask this question, but I'm gonna ask: Why do you think it's currently such an explosion in radar constellation? Capella Space definitely in the forefront of it, but there's also Ice Eye, and there's other constellation like Pradazar, Thin Spective from Japan, which has raised, as you said, more than 100 million uh, US dollars. So. Right now, we've, like a few years back, we've seen a lot of optical constellation. Now everyone says they are doing a radar consolidation. Can you maybe just give us one or two sentences about why you think that's the case and why do you think Capella Space is like the leader in this movement?
0: I think uh, radar is just sexy. <laughs> so, and by that, I mean uh, if you have uh, the remote sensing capability that works operationally. Uh, you can tap uh, quite a few markets uh, and that makes it attractive uh, to the to the venture to the vc uh, community uh, and that uh, is propelling the whole Uh, Broadth of the current uh, activity ongoing and uh, I mean you have two initiatives in in Japan, you have uh, in Europe you have uh, at least two if not three, Uh, in the US you have uh, three to four initiatives ongoing there is many attempts ongoing besides that you also have the the traditional space industries also coming up with with lighter and and smaller SAR capabilities uh, at concept level Uh, and maybe there is some implementation route there as well. So I think the reason for that is uh, uh, it has uh, come to fruition that more than 10 years of commercial SAR has moved something in the market. So people see the benefits, uh, the the utility has been demonstrated, there is software in place, uh, there is new capabilities through cloud computing coming up through artificial intelligence. People just want to play in that environment because it has so much if I refer to, uh, to your question uh, on Capella, uh, image quality, prompt uh, reactivity, and frequent data collect, these are the, the features that are visible uh, once we become operational, hopefully soon. Uh, And uh, they imply an infrastructure, a global infrastructure, which benefits from all the the advanced technologies that we have in all different levels available today, Uh, if not uh, being currently developed by many greedy developers, (laughs) in particular in the artificial intelligence uh, community. There is lots going on and people are uh, looking forward to have such sources uh, to to capitalize on them. and, um, demonstrate attractive uh, applications.
2: I totally agree with you. We from from like We want to build a leader in the analytics domain. Um, but uh, maybe our last question here is that uh, if you look into the new space hardware the environment, um, you just mentioned all those companies and all those opportunities. Why is there no leading new space hardware startups such as Planet, ISI, Capella in Germany? <laughs> <laughs> it's super surprising. We have all the sensors here, right? Comsat sensors from DLR here. in uh, The universities. So the universities are great. The, the multiple universities launch, launching their satellites. We have great engineers. We have everything. Why don't we have a planet in ISA or a capella space here in Germany right now, um, Yeah, changing the industry?
0: Well... I think that's my personal view. Uh, Pulling something through that is very challenging because it's extremely complex uh, as a technology setting, as a business model as a partnership arrangement, uh, as a funding conception. That requires leadership and it requires the braveness to do it. So it's not uh, that easy uh, to just pick a few capabilities, which are certainly available in Germany. And uh, you need a good plan and you need to have, and that's also my experience that I had during the Terrasa time, uh, you need to uh, face the fact that you can have many hurdles, many drawbacks. (laughs) Uh, But you still need to keep going. So uh, consistently and uh, with uh, a strong leadership, pulling something uh, towards success is maybe currently not available. But luckily, we see a lot of uh, early startups here in Germany, for example, either
1: Aerospace from Munich or... Or Aurora Tech, also from Munich, or uh, Morpho Space from Dresden, uh, Constell Air from Berlin. Mean. Exactly, <laughs> uh, there are a lot of great companies out there which which uh, have have made the first steps in the direction of building a, a space company, really with a VC and venture-driven approach, which which try to iterate. And so. Uh We all hope from New Space Vision that there will be the next Capella Space, the next Planet Labs uh, will then also uh, continuously be successful here in Germany. We want to say thank you very much for taking the time and um, talking here about how space has developed and how commercial space really has developed here in Germany, but also in the US over the last 30 years. So thank you very much for taking the time, Jörg. Uh, it was a pleasure.
0: Yeah, thank you very much. Great pleasure. Thank you.